Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halfords Floor. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe Devine. And Jonathan Dog Mackenzie. Hi, John. Hello. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, it's John's first England game today, so that's exciting for us. We're going to talk about England with John and also we're going to talk about several other things, including. Uh, France versus Poland. We'll talk a little bit about Senegal. Uh, we will talk about England versus France, which is going to be the quarterfinal uh, uh, playoff, I think, happening next Friday. Um, we're also going to talk about Chogu Sung, and we're going to talk about Arsene Wenger, uh, who mm. said a few things mm-hmm. that, oh dear, I didn't like. Uh, and also we're going to play Points Are Bad at the end there. Uh, I think I am going to like that. Yeah? So it's a whole sort of mixture of emotions for me. Um, too many to be contained. But uh, what about you, John? Have you had a pleasant day? Yes, it's been good. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying the slower pace of only two games a day. Well, speaking of slower pace, you know how sometimes you find if you go on the internet and you look for sports news, football news, it all comes at you in a flurry. Yeah, horrible pop-ups and uh, it all. Oh, this is the, the big headlines. Yeah, if you like a slower pace of news, visit the Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where the news isn't slower, but it will be slower for you to read because they're longer, but better. Yeah. And my favorite thing to do is to go back over a sentence again to go, did I read that right? That's so incredible. Yeah. Have you read anything good recently, sir? I actually have, because a couple of nights ago, we were talking about the difficulties in getting older. So with that in mind, I read Alan Shearer's great piece this morning about the difficulties professional footballers um, encounter when that happens to them, when they yeah. start to to lose their pace and the kind of their body starts to fail them a little bit. Do you read that? Because it's great. And obviously it's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's really refreshing to hear a, a player talk firsthand about what that's like. You don't generally get ex-footballers or current footballers um, exposing that themselves and being sort of so well, exposing themselves. That sounds weird. <laughs> Thank goodness you don't get a lot of that. You don't commonly get Thank ex-professional footballers exposing you do themselves. Not, but no. You don't get them talking so candidly about that kind of delicate stage of life when they're thinking about what happens after football. And gladly, they're not exposing themselves a lot, which is just <laughs> Because great. if they were in the TIFO office, that, you'd be taking photos I, and putting I, it online. That's right. That is something that I would do. Yes. <laughs> it can't be trusted. We you have to have all of our know. secret meetings yeah. in super secret. Yeah. 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 Anyway, there we go. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. The only athletic advert where we will discuss people potentially exposing themselves. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do a Christmas advert. For what? Christmas? For ad- I don't think the- you need to do an advert for Christmas. No, no, Everyone no, no, knows for, it's Christmas. For the athletic. You know how, like, M&S do them and John Lewis. Oh, a really sad one. Yeah, yeah. Where, we, yeah. where we sing like a song from the 80s, but we in a minor key. Yeah. JJ's yeah. kind of staring forlornly out the window and it's raining. And, yeah, we could and then we that. let him back into the office and he's happy again. Yeah, and and everyone's like, this and, is what Christmas is And Henry's about. there doing something. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what, but Henry would be there somewhere. You know, yeah. just, it's nice, isn't it? Plug the whole of meaning in your life with an advert. I know I do. <laughs> anyway, let's begin the podcast and I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the John Lewis of the John Lewis adverts. Yes, England three nil Senegal. Let's begin there. Where else to begin? Now um, there are a few different things to talk about, but I think it would make sense, uh, Seb, to start with Jude Bellingham, who was the, the topic of conversation for us after England's first performance in this World Cup, mm. um, and I think is very much the topic of conversation for us to, to kick things off today. He was uh, brilliant, contributed to two, the, the first two goals pretty, pretty directly. Um, he's 19 years old. 
He is very young and very, very good. And this actually felt like a sort of a, a breakthrough moment for him with English fans, because obviously he plays his football in Germany with Borussia Dortmund. And those who watch the Bundesliga regularly will uh, tell you that he's been a very, very good player for probably about 18 months to two years now. That being said, when you have a performance like this at a time like this, because that's the important bit, because at the time of England's first goal, they were not the better side. Mm. I think it's really, really important to remember that. And it was kind of Bellingham's sort of uh, surging run, his willingness to kind of, um, I hate to say, use the word, but gamble, because, you know, pundits and co-commentators use that a little bit too often. Um, but to make a run off and to complete a move and to break the Senegalese defensive structure and, you know, produce the cutback for Jordan Henderson to score. Um, I think what you're looking at here is authority, a willingness to try and change the game, um, a bravery which is pretty rare in someone with um, no World Cup experience, very little international experience too. I think the essence of Bellingham is, in its sort of truest form was probably seen in the second England goal when it infuriated John actually because he was sitting next to me during the game um, screaming for a Senegalese player to commit a tactical foul and he was quite right because <laughs> that absolutely should have happened. Mm. Nevertheless, what a brilliant, positive bit of football, wonderful run up through the middle of the pitch and a perfectly timed pass to kind of... Um, Posit positive is the key word there, I think. He, because it's something that, you know, I think it's something under Gareth Southgate, and this isn't a criticism, I think it's a, it's a specific choice. Positivity isn't necessarily the word that you would associate with the England team, but you do associate it with a couple of players. I think Foden's inclusion today, yeah. and we'll come to talk about that, um, represents part of that. What Jude Bellingham appears uh, to be given licensed to do in that midfield is inherently positive, I think. And you, you really see him taking up the mantle. You know, another word I, I agree completely. Another word I'd use is uninhibited because mm -hmm. I, um, I'm 38 um, for most of my You're life. You're hibbited. I am hibbited. <laughs> Very hibbited. I'm hibbited by age and time. <laughs> but for most of my life, playing for England has had a sort of a, a dampening effect on talent. It's, um, I think enough ex-England players have said and acknowledged publicly that there is a, um, a pressure and expectation which makes them sort of play within themselves and mm. makes them think about sort of playing in a way which doesn't expose them to the potential of making mistakes. Bellingham is very optimistic. He is a, a kind of, um, he sort of play with a sunny disposition in a way because he thinks about how he can change things for the better. He's not trying to just get through the game, get another cap and move on. It's a, how can I win this game? And um, I think it's becoming a little bit more common in this English generation, but it wasn't very common not so long ago. And to see that is for younger people who, uh, who perhaps sort of um, his first World Cup might have been 2018 and they remember kind of a decent Nations League tournament and a, a good Euros. Maybe that isn't very novel. For me, it still is because every now and again, one of these players comes through in a generation. Rooney was one, young Wayne Rooney, when he came through in 2004 you know, couldn't possibly care less about what he was facing, what stage he was on. Give me the ball, let me play. Bellingham has something quite similar, mm. different player, obviously, but just fabulously gifted. Um, and uh, just a really level-headed person. Um, if you ever get the chance to listen to Jude Bellingham talk, uh, it's very difficult not to kind of gravitate towards him and just, you know, it, it's very strange to to kind of match that up with the idea that he is still just 19. Yeah. Wasn't born when the 2002 World Cup happened. That's kind of crazy oh. to me, but has this maturity, which, um, you know, is um, is very precious, uh, as precious yeah. as his ability. To John, you're not a player guy, right? You're a, you're a teams guy. You're a system guy. And sometimes what happens when I ask you to talk about a player is you say, no, I want to talk about the whole team. I don't know. And I, I think, you, for the record, I think you do yourself a bit of a disservice. You, you do yourself down 
But you also, you like to recognise that there are player experts out there. Imagine for a moment, will you, that you were one of those people and then talk about Jude Bellingham. Well, if I could add to the list of superlatives that have been thrown around, I I think I would add the word flexible, which maybe doesn't sound that superlative. But I think the big thing about Jude Bellingham is that he is so well-rounded as a player that he can he can just do everything that is required of of a midfielder and on the athletic there was a piece out a few days ago after the, I think it was after the Iran game uh, from Liam Tharm and Mark Carey and they were basically arguing that that Jude Bellingham can can play the four position he can play the eight position he can play the ten position and I think that adds up to twenty two so they're like that's why he is number twenty two for England um, if I can go to the board quickly I can show you just mm. what what England were trying to do today so England very much about building up in wide areas Uh, and so what we saw them doing was pushing Luke Shaw into the seam and then shifting the back four into a back three here Mm -hmm. Uh, you're going to get Phil Foden in wide areas here you want to do interplay you want to build up in these wide wide areas and we saw a few of the goals being created from those wide areas and that's Luke Shaw and Phil Foden together on the left Yes, yeah. together on the left. So sure, around the halfway line and, and Phil Foden further up. And then Bellingham is obviously on that side too. So mm. there's a number of different things that he can do. He can drop in and cover for Luke Shaw if Luke Shaw is going forward. Mm. Uh, he can operate more as a four, helping the deeper build-up situations. Uh, he also comes into this sort of area, which is, I suppose you would say, the, the area between where Declan Rice would be and, and Luke Shaw is. So And creates uh, a little triangle. Yeah, a little triangle with him and Foden. Um mm. And again, is going to be involved in these sorts of interchanges, building building space as well. And then he's going to get forward into more sort of 10 spaces. Mm. So in a creative way, on the edge of the box, but also we saw him today, I think, generate a, a goal from this sort of this sort of area as well. So yeah. getting into attacking situations uh, as well. So well, I've plus, got... Plus he's quite tall and he's decent in the air, isn't he? He is, yeah. And has a remarkable physicality, I think, which yeah. is pretty important for these sorts of things. So I've just got a bit of data that I have stolen from uh, a few of the athletics articles. So the first one is just showing the amount of uh, of license he has to get across the field because mm. of his flexibility. So you can see here, these are the touches that he's had in Europe um, with, with Dortmund. And you can see just covering basically everywhere yeah. either side through the middle dropping deep picking up helping out and then so, getting for, so for listeners what, what we're seeing well. here is a pitch that's split up into lots of different squares uh, and uh, we can see the areas that he is uh, spending more time in he's everywhere really isn't he is he? yeah he's here he's there he's everywhere mm. um and i've got another graph here just showing you his contribution to to dortmund's uh, attacking play in the Bundesliga in 21-22. You can see he's the player who's generating the most chances, so he's right at the top of this graph here. But it's quite helpful, this graph, because it breaks down into different ways of of generating. So we've got lots of live ball passes, so he's involved in open play. He's a dribbler as well, so nine dribbles, which is, I Mm. think, the the biggest amount of dribbles from from this team. So he's creative on the ball. He's shooting as well, so dangerous uh, in a productive sense in that way. Fouls drawn, so he's winning free kicks for his team as well. Mm. And then here defensive action as well. So yeah. that physicality a- enabling him to be able to pick, pick the ball up and generate from a, a defensive situation to into a counter-attacking situation as well. So he's super important for, for Borussia Dortmund then. That's can, what I, we're saying. can I, John, can you just go back one slide just because there's a point that I'd like to make here. Just back. I cannot go back a slide. Without, you cannot back, without, go back a slide. Okay, well, Jamie we shall, we shall talk as Jamie allows us to go back a slide. But just because um, I've watched quite a lot of, of G. Bellingham for Dortmund and there's a kind of a little caveat here 
where Dortmund is incre- um, Bellingham is incredibly popular with the Dortmund crowd. He's like a talisman character. They love him. And he, there's a very kind of um, real tangible connection between them when you're in the stadium. And I think one of the, the problems he's experienced, particularly since Erling Haaland left, is that um, there's this emphasis on him to be everything to that side. Um, Dortmund, they're not a particularly well-balanced team at the moment. They're quite young. They're restocking attacking positions, you know, trying to build around Mikoku and Adeyemi um, increasingly. And their midfield is still a little bit ropey in my mind. And I think one of the ways in which he kind of gets diluted, at least in the way that we've seen um, him not being today with his attacking contribution, is he tries to play multiple uh, midfield positions within the same game. Mm. And it's kind of one of the interesting things for me today was seeing the Henderson and Rice selection, which allows him to be what England need him to be, which is that kind of forceful eight rather than the kind of another guy in the midfielder who you sometimes see as a six, sometimes as the eight, sometimes disconnected in a kind of 10 position. And that's really what pleased me. It was so Mm. nice to see that. Mm. Well, I'd like to run through his goals because I think it shows a lot of his, of what he actually did in this game and a lot of that flexibility that we talked about. So this is the first goal. So England just trying to build up in the wide area here on the left. Luke Shaw has the ball here and he's going to play the ball into Phil Foden, who's dropping to pull a player with him to generate space in the fullback area. And we can see Jude Bellingham here. Um, with with a player on him again dropping quite deep and creating space in front of him so we've we've got him um in in this sort of very flexible moving moving forward creating space to run into as well the next slide here the interesting things to see is so firstly phil foden flicks the ball through generates a really uh really good move for england because of Mm. his creativity there but the other thing to note is harry kane here pulling across so england are getting an overload in this area Um, they're getting all their players around the ball and they're generating space through rotation so moving basically swapping places so harry kane coming across is going to pull one of the center backs with him that's going to leave a big gap as we'll see on the next slide between the two center backs that then jude bellingham can run into so um you can see here now bellingham because he's dropped deep has now got the right side of his player he's going to be able to power into this space you can see Koulibaly with with uh, Kane here um, and the other centre back is over here so there's a, a big big space for him to run into and then Kane is able to Oh. We've lost the slide. But basically what happens is that Jude Bellingham then is able to run into the space that he's Remember created. to go back to full screen yeah, there sorry. buddy. So we can see Don't that. Don't let the people at home see all of the weird tabs you well, have open. Yeah. yeah that's true. That's not actually my my computer, but I'm sure... I was just joking. (laughs) Now now you are thinking about the tabs you have on your computer. Outstanding the way you got in his head there. That was was masterful. Well done. I'm sure Seb will take a photo later and put it on the internet for everyone. It's Uh, already on there, actually. So Harry Kane creates space here. Bellingham is able to run into it, and then we could see... Um, Henderson here runs into the box and that's how the first goal is scored so yeah. the flexibility of, of Bellingham to be able to make those sorts of smart moves get into dangerous attacking situations and then play the pass for, mm. for Henderson to score and then that physicality in the, in the second goal um, yes it is the second goal where the ball comes out Senegal are attacking this way they're going forward remember the audio listeners John. oh yes okay. I, th- I fear that um, I'd be taking my headphones off if I was on the tube <laughs> tomorrow morning now. Uh, try to just describe the okay. second goal, maybe instead so, of using the slides, although they do look nice for the live stream. The ball has gone into the box, the England box, and they've cleared it and it's fallen to one of the Senegal players. Mm. He takes a heavy touch and then you can see Jude Bellingham just on the edge of the D. He's going to close the ball down and ends up winning the ball in that duel and mm. then carries the ball around another Senegal player and then is able to set uh, Phil Foden on his way for the for the second goal as well. And it re- requires a, a remarkable amount of physicality mm. as well. So for me, it's all about flexibility. It's the fact that he is not only able to do the high technique stuff, which often comes with players who can be maybe a little bit less physically adept, 
but he's got that physicality as well. Yeah. And so with the combination of those two makes him a really, really dangerous player. I'll tell you what, uh, that was a delightful description. Thank you. And I know the audio listeners are thanking you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Does it feel nice? Yeah, it was okay. That wasn't it. The, yeah. the description of Pretty what good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, can we talk about England in the wide areas then? You kind of mentioned it there with Jude Bellingham and we talked about the interchanges between Bellingham um, and uh, Foden, uh, who I wanted to talk to you about as well. Foden seemed to be a bit of an unlocker in this game today. He certainly contributed to that first goal and it was quite funny for me watching because uh, at that very moment you were describing how England needed to be more aggressive in those wide areas and then they did that and scored immediately. Yeah, so England are trying to build up in wide areas and against teams in this tournament, we've not actually seen what we call a low block a lot, which is just sort of being quite passive in your in your outer possession structure. What we've seen is a lot of aggression. Um, so for England, they've actually struggled against, so they struggled a little bit against the United States because they're very aggressive. They, they kept England in their own half, didn't allow them to progress. We've seen Saudi Arabia cause problems to Argentina because they were very aggressive even though they were dropping quite deep, they were then pushing out and not allowing wide players to have the ball. And we saw the same sort of thing happening from Senegal in this game. And so what, what you have to do in these sorts of situations is you have to move the opposition around uh, in order to generate space to, to be able to attack. Mm-hmm. And England didn't, didn't really do this until the attack where they scored the first goal. So Luke, Luke Shaw has the ball here. Phil Foden drops in here, dragging the fullback with him. So what you're doing here is you're generating space in this area and um, you're making space here. Now Bellingham, as we've already said, has dropped deeper as well. So again, you're you're just finding extra pockets of space all the way across the pitch. And then as we said as well, Harry Kane pulls across towards the side the ball is on, pulling Koulibaly with him as well, and you're creating space in here. So mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're pulling that block apart. Because they're being so aggressive, you have to move them around uh, and generate that space. And because of that, really nice... Oops. A really nice flick from Foden, pulls the ball into this space, Kane picks it up, Bellingham is able to run into this big area that has been created uh, and the ball is played through there and Bellingham gets on side and uh, Henderson is, is running into the box again, attacking this space that's created. So yeah. when you're playing a team as a team who wants to generate in wide areas and you're playing against a block, you've got to get these rotations right and it took England however many minutes, over 35 minutes to, to start getting those those right. And actually some of them were breaking down and Senegal were generating chances from it as well. But mm. once they got that one rotation correct, they got into the box and scored. Yeah, okay. Um, it's a bit of a difficult question for me to ask you now, sir, because of course the next game is against France and we'll come to discuss that fixture specifically a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah. But um, there were lots of people clamouring for Phil Foden's involvement. Uh, he started the game today. He was crucial to that first goal. Do you think he kind of merits starter inclusion in this in this England team generally? I, I have a difficulty with with generally because I don't know what it seems like the way Southgate has built this England team is um to borrow a word from John, is to be flexible, to have players that suit different situations. And that's probably one of its strengths because I don't mm. think on a talent basis it's the best team in the world. I think just over the last couple of tournaments, we've seen their ability to adapt around um, the different situations in a tournament. Also, let's not underestimate the fact that like a lot of these dynamic players are being kept fresh for specific challenges. Um, so Foden has played his situation extremely well. I thought the kind of the the tackle he rode for the second goal was absolutely brilliant. That is what you want from Phil Foden going forward like as quickly as possible, but also being able to skip away from defenders. Um, that's why he's in the side and then producing the right pass at the end of it mm. twice actually because he set up the first goal the yeah. third goal too um, so I don't know I, I think 
I suspect, and I think we're going to cover this a little bit more later, but I suspect England will have a little bit of a system change against France, probably go to a back three, and then it will be a choice probably between Foden and Saka. Wouldn't be surprised also to see Raheem Sterling back on the side because he's a Southgate favourite, he's someone he trusts, and the margins in that game will be very, very tight indeed. So mm. we'll see. But there's that isn't to say that Phil Foden has done anything wrong at all. He's been great in both games yeah, he's for played. Sure. Um, but um, I think the easy way to answer it is to say you can see what the fuss is about. Yeah. Probably. It's quite funny, isn't it? We were talking uh, when the game was happening earlier that um, this England team under Southgate, they, I mean, they have their detractors. And I think, you know, we we, we had a, a bit of a conversation about what the definition of impressive in terms of their performance would actually be uh, in a major tournament because England weren't really impressive at any point during the Euros or really many points during the 2018 World Cup but in terms of results they were uh, and I think we I come away from most England games feeling like that they just beat Senegal who are champions of Africa 3-0 and I'm not like overly impressed by the performance I'm not so I'm not so, I think in terms of thinking about what the value of being impressed is whether how how we redefine that for England at major tournaments what, what do you think about that John? I talked a couple of days ago on the stream about how there are two different types of elite team in this tournament. And I, I called one of them high floor, low ceiling teams. And then I talked about the other one being low floor, mm. high ceiling teams. And essentially, I think England are a high floor, low ceiling team. So they're set up to get to progress through the tournament. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm excited by the idea of high floors and low ceilings. <laughs> um and and so I think with England, they're always going to be able to, they're, they're going to do well in these sorts of games, the games where they're expected to win. The big question is how, like, how high is their ceiling? Mm. Um, to what extent are, in this game today... Keep it together now, John, as you, as you talk more about this. Don't lose yourself in the okay. thought of how high those ceilings yeah. might be. Well, in this game today, England scored three goals from a fairly lowish expected goals um, tally they didn't have a huge amount of chances um they did generate three good chances and and scored all three of them um but they did all they needed to do to get ahead and then and then sort of held it there the big yeah. question is going to be how are they going to do if because from here on in they'll be playing france and then you know probably another biggish side maybe portugal or spain and then in the final argentina um it could be that makes Brazil it sound well. like you think they're going the whole way no i think that we will we are not going to be able to see them um, just sort of bulldoze through these sorts of games in a in a way that that you know they they did in this game for example mm. um and I, yeah i think that's always been my my criticism of of england but then at the same time i suppose in this game we've talked about them just building up in those wide areas and i think teams like senegal will and and the us a, know that they can if they can cause problems in those wide areas they can cause problems for england whereas the teams that they're coming up against are unlikely to be as reactive uh, and so they may get a lot more joy in those wide areas so it could be the case that um once you get further through this tournament they do actually have have a higher ceiling but mm. I, I think my criticism of, of Southgate has always been that England don't really seem to have particularly great in possession structures and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and then and then the big question is well, where do you go from here so I think that's what I'll be looking out for for the next few games okay cool um Senegal out of the tournament now Seb I mean they were impressive during the group stages they just they weren't really at it today no, I, I felt like they had a really good first half an hour. I think over the course of the game, though, you saw the absence of Idrissa Gay. I think that yeah. was 
really, really important for them. Also, um, that right, first goal was a kind of crushing blow, wasn't it? They never really seemed to recover. No, from that. and also, like, I don't think the second goal happens if Gay is on the pitch, just because yeah. it's such a it's such a kind of system failure through midfield. Um, I think there's just um, there was a, a lack of experience, possibly. Um, but also um, worth remembering that Ali Cici, the coach, was was ill for a couple of days before this game, so maybe they had a little bit of um, a lack of preparation. England were worthy winners, and England were the stronger side. It's just a shame that for this game that you weren't able to see the side that were African champions on the pitch because uh, you know you deserve that's what you want to see in a World Cup, right? Mm. And um, add add Mane, of course, and and Gay into there, and and um, this would have been um, super interesting. But uh, I felt a bit sorry for them because I, I think I don't think. 3-0 was quite a fair reflection. I thought that was a little bit harsh as a scoreline. Um, yeah. And I miss Senegal. I miss, I miss their fans. Their fans are amazing. So, so such a, um important part of World Cup. And it's just so great to see the way they respond to their team and like, yeah. the way they rally around them. It's great. Um, but um, yeah. I was going to say, it's probably worth talking about game day because, you know, as you've said, until yep. England scored their first goal, Senegal looked like the more likely team. I to felt score. like they had a real plan for the England defence. So I, I think they they went after Maguire and Stones in the first half, yeah. and they had a lot of joy. And they probably produced, regardless of the two goals, I think they produced the best chance of the first half. And and if that gets taken, it's a very very different mm. game. And all of a sudden, um, one of the one of the situations in which I'm always nervous as an England fan is when they go behind and they start they start hearing the headlines the next morning mm. because England. No England player has kind of proven they're not susceptible to that yet. Um, so that would have been very, very interesting. And so it felt like they had a game plan and then something happened between minute 30 and minute 45. It's just a little bit of a breakdown. It felt like the first goal, the fact that the first goal came so against the run of play, that seemed to really knock them for six. Which mm. was, um, It was only the second chance that England had. And exactly it, that. And the first exactly one had that. been a header from a corner. So they had relatively kept England quite quiet. It so. actually reminded me of the Poland-France game earlier because Poland played great until Olivier Giroud scored. Well, well, hold hold your horses Sorry, there. My, my apologies. <laughs> I'm always doing that, aren't You're I? You're always, I'm always doing, doing that. Doing that. Also, yes. As though I wasn't even here. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah? I know it was, I'm it virtually gone. It was a legitimate gone, comparison. It wasn't like a... I know, but yeah. you were about to get carried away I was, with it. Yes. I, could, I know what your carried away tone of voice sounds like. I was doing like. my carried away face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's have a break. And when we come back, we will discuss the thing that Seb was just attempting to discuss without my permission. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Yes, okay. Uh, we're back from that nice break now uh, to discuss France 3, 1 Poland. Gone. Make that point you were just making. What I was going to say is that Poland were great until Jury scored, mm-hmm. and you know um, what a great goal with which to become France's all-time record goal scorer because it was clinical. It was. It's the goal you want your number nine to score because it's the it's, it's the against the run of the play goal which changes the game and changes the way your opposition um, is feeling the way the kind of um, it changes that kind of level of security within the game. And it was very reminiscent of what happened to Senegal because all of a sudden space that hadn't existed in the game and, um, you know, the, the pressure that had been on the England players um, when they had the ball, the kind of the pressing high up on Maguire and Stones, all of a sudden that dropped away a little bit. And yeah. You saw the space and you saw the kind of the quality of some of those England players. Um, Bellingham we've spoken about a lot, but obviously Foden too and Kane and Henderson. 
um, this was the same. And it felt, watching it, it felt like with every minute that went by and with every sort of half chance that Poland created, you could see that sort of germinating a level of belief. And the minute Giroud scored, that just completely changed. Mm. And I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about Kylian Mbappe, right? Am I jumping ahead again? Well, no, I mean, I was, I was just going to start a little game about okay. the, the, the World Cup's current top scorers so right. far. You've just mentioned number one. Do you, right. do you know how many goals he's scored so far? Uh, is it four? It's five. It's five. Yeah. And c- would we like to, between us, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players on three goals. Yeah. I thought it'd be quite Giroud fun to try to on, guess them. Giroud yeah. is on three. Now, Giroud is one of them, yes. Enna Valencia. Enna Valencia is another. Um, is Messi one? Lionel Messi. Messi is one, yes. Yeah. Um, I would say that... One of the England players must have three. Richarlison has two. Um, uh, Kane has one. Bellingham has two. I don't know. This could turn into quite a poor... Shall I, shall I tell you some of yes, them? Yes, indeed. Well, there are two England players on this list that have three. Bakaya Saka and Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Yes, well done. Uh, Cody Gakpo also has three yes, goals yes. for the Netherlands. And I think that's it. Have I read all the names? Ah, Alvaro Morata with three right, goals for Spain. Right, right, right. Okay, there we go. Okay. Very impressive. Um, we are. We can talk about um, Mbappe, though, but uh, we, we, I think we'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Antoine Griezmann as well with you, Seb. But before we do that, John McKenzie, you, you said something earlier on today that I greatly enjoyed. You said, quote, is injuries the best France manager? Question mark. And you said that, of course, in reference to the fact that Pogba and Kante are both injured and unavailable for selection and uh, have been replaced in this tournament by Rabiot, and Chouameni. But what yes. did you mean by our injuries, the best France manager? There's also another injury. Lucas Hernandez got injured and was replaced by his brother, Teo. Yes. We talked a little bit about that in earlier streams as well. But yeah, the, the big question was, to what extent is injuries forcing Didier Deschamps' hand yes. and forcing him to play maybe a team that, that suits France better? Mm. And I think a lot of that's got to do with what's happening out of possession. Um, so France are playing pretty much in a 4-2-3-1. Um, so we have Mbappe out on the left-hand side, loves to make those really dangerous runs into the box. Mm. Dembele on the right, plays as a sort of classic winger, can also invert as well. And then Griezmann behind, and then you've got a pivot of Rabiot and Chouameni. Some Often Chouameni is the deeper player. Rabiot sort of floats around and helps out. Uh, and then you've got Teo Hernandez, and then two centre-backs, whoever they'll be. And we've been seeing Jules Koundé play as, as right-back in this game anyway. And the big question is, what do you do out of possession when you have Kylian Mbappe? Because obviously Kylian Mbappe has a ridiculous upside. We saw that happen today. He scored two goals from, to be honest, basically out of nowhere in, in the sense that, you know, he picked the ball up and just took shots and... and Chesney couldn't do anything about it. But out of possession, Mbappe is not going to be tracking back and helping out on, on this side. You've also got Teo Hernandez, who's going to be quite aggressive pushing up too. And so potentially this, this left-hand side is, could be quite uh, weak. And what we've seen happening actually is that out of possession, France become a bit more of a 4-4-2. Rabiot shifts to cover the area that Mbappe should be in on the left-hand side. And then you have Chouameni next to him. And Gre- rather than Mbappe dropping in to this to the left-hand side where where he's sort of positioned in possession. Out of possession, he, he sits alongside Giroud as a, almost a second player in the forward press. Griezmann dropped... I said that in a really French Gr- way. You said Griezmann. You really went for that. Yeah, sorry. I, was, yeah. I apologize He, he sort of dove into it, didn't he? Griezmann. He forgot where he was. Griezmann. Yeah. No, you've done it I as liked, well. I liked it. It was yeah. great. 
It wasn't a criticism. I was just admiring John's commitment. So we've got to it. Radio Chuameni. I don't think this is a good idea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I think accents are out now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dembele is is the other wide player, and he drops in alongside in this in this midfield now four. Unless you want to do it in a goblin accent, which is fine. <laughs> that's fine. I represent the goblins. Have to so chuckle okay. the whole time. And. Despite the fact that they're playing in this way, I, I still think there are potential weaknesses on that on that left hand side. Um, not least because you know Mbappe isn't always well set up along, and, and Giroud, I mean Giroud as well. Both of these two players are not the most aggressive pressers, um, and and so the big question is how are they going to set up in those wide areas? But back to injuries, I think with with Kante and Pogba out this midfield will look very different. I, I'm not entirely sure that they would be able to cover this, mm. that the, 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 the lack of coverage that Mbappe is giving on the left right. with, with that midfield. So, so you it think could it's be kind the case. of lucky? Yeah. It, I think that it's allowed Deschamps to play a team where, um, which he might not necessarily have gone for yeah. if he'd had Kante and Pogba available. And it actually makes a huge difference to the, to the, the, the 11, because you, you're not trying to force all of your best players onto the pitch. Yeah. You're actually able to bring in players who are actually functionally quite useful. And okay. I think Rabiot in particular has been really, really useful for, for France because he's performed this, this covering position really well. And then he's been a bit of a box crasher yeah. um, as well and, and been dangerous from that sort of position. It's just, it's a role that really suits him. Okay. Thanks, John. There's an interesting development in the chat, which I want to, to talk about. Several people saying that's not accents. That's just their names. Um, no, that's not true. That's not. <laughs> that's true. just not true. Uh, what that is is their names in an accent. Yeah. yeah. So I actually had this argument with. I'll, I'm going to out him on the podcast, <laughs> no, editor again. Nathan. No, only because he's a, now a feature of the podcast, okay. editor Nathan. He's a character, and actually so, he has yeah. to edit these at eleven at night. And I know for a fact he doesn't listen to the bits that aren't time coded. So keep your pen off that paper, and he'll <laughs> never hear this. this. Right? Don't time code it. He'll never <laughs> hear it. But editor Nathan tried to tell me right that. I would be wrong to not say Qatar when I'm talking about Qatar, right? Now, my, ha, having been someone who's uh, voiced, voiced over lots of videos, done podcasts and stuff, I've struggled with the question of how have how to say Qatar properly, right? Uh, because I, I used to say Qatar, like lots of other people do, but it's very clear that the emphasis is, is on the first A and not the second A, right? The way that people from Qatar would, would say that would be Qatar, but that's because they're saying it with their accent. If I say Qatar, I'm just putting on a Qatari accent to say yeah. it. So there's a middle, there's a neat middle ground where I follow the the the, the emphasis enough uh, so that I'm, I'm I'm clearly making the effort to get it right. But I don't do an impression of someone from that place. The accent right? seems like the worst way to go. The, the accent, I, I, the I think it's the is, worst way to go. Yeah. It's also it's also worth saying. I think there's a whole kind of grey area, and I think it's a there's a nuanced conversation to be had about how things are said. There are no correct answers. That's just the correct answer for me. But what John did before, I don't know if you would agree or not. No, I do I, agree. I, I don't I, think that was just saying their name. What what I what I try and do is pronounce the names as faithfully as possible, but in an English accent. Accent. Yeah. Um, although Mikhail Balta in the chat to say I'm French and this is incredible. Please keep up your French. Of course, accent, but John. then for, for for Mikhail, that's I, and I wasn't I've, I wasn't suggesting that you were going to offend anyone. But I am aware that we're live, and so I feel like it's good to be fifty steps back from the line just in case. <laughs> yeah. No. Of course. You accidentally cross but it. But I do think that the French accent and language is beautiful. It's a lovely accent. And, uh, it's a wonderful. many in particular. Chouameni. Really nice. Yeah, I like it. Word and yeah. nice to say. 
Yeah, there we go. Uh, Ewan Cartney says, Joe, you literally ham up every player's name you mention. Yeah, there we go. That's the, the nuance just gone straight over Ewan's head there, isn't it? Thanks, Ewan, for your helpful contribution. Now, let's discuss uh, Antoine Griezmann there. Antoine mm. Griezmann, rolling the R there. Is it is it allowable? Not sure. Um, <laughs> look, Mbappe gets the plaudits, yes. right? Giroud has the record now. Yeah. Uh, but Seb, you've really rated Griezmann's performances during this tournament. I have, Joe, because it's been a Griezmann that I've never really seen before, um, uh, a facilitating player. I mean, the way the, the formation is set up, it makes it look like he's playing as a number 10. He's not really. He's kind of, he's almost an orchestrator in this side. So from what, I'm not going to change what John's done too much here, but um, obviously like the French midfield kind of typically looks a little bit like this. And Griezmann's role um, is kind of to do everything if you look at his touch map today and where he passed um where he made his passes from you will see him from the edge of the um the opposition penalty area all the way back to his own penalty box that mm. entire span of space i think um at the end of the game i might be wrong on this but i think i counted only two two passes that were made inside the penalty box and that's not what you expect from griezmann like both from his first and second um spells at atletico madrid he was playing as a kind of shadow forward or sometimes a centre forward if, if it was necessary. At Barcelona, he was always a slightly awkward fit because I don't know whether the team was really designed around him. Here, I think you've seen a selflessness in his performance. And a he, willingness. He's, he's found his space, right? Well, I think he's adapted into the space. I think he's adapted in the way that he's needed to, to be as important to the team as he can possibly be. So you're seeing him playing passes, for instance, um, from the centre circle, sort of 10, 15 yards towards the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, I think he, he he made passes to Mbappe nine times today. It's like you can see his role is not to be like a feature of this team, which if you go back to 2016, you remember how important Antoine Griezmann was to to France in their home Euros. And I think he was their top goal, goal scorer in that tournament. Um, a lot of their best moments went through him. His, his role has been completely redesigned. And on the one hand, credit Didier Deschamps for doing that. Um, and for his teammates to, you know, for, for adapting around that as well, but also to Griezmann for having the humility to do it. Because sometimes when you, when you have a player with, you know, an ego player, someone that's kind of, um, you know, feels his own status in the game and you ask him to play second field to someone like Mbappe and really someone like Giroud in this situation, because Giroud is the kind of the feature of the attack, the center of the attack, at least with kind of, he's the foil for Mbappe. Um, sometimes you can have a problem. And French squads in the past have had problems with this kind of thing. And I think it's been great. I think he's um, in a very no-nonsense, non-highlight reel kind of way. He's playing some of the best tournament football I've seen from him. He's mm. been absolutely terrific. Um, and so has Rabiot. John's mentioned it before. Rabiot came out of the Euros as a, almost like a public enemy. Yeah. Um, he, he, he had a rough time. And a then there was an argument between um, his family and Kylian Mbappe's family yeah. about the missed penalty. There were all kinds of repercussions. Because well, not, can I say, interrupt yeah. you saying like, isn't then, uh, you know, pardon my uh, uh, misunderstanding. French. But isn't there normally a French drama <laughs> that goes into uh, into a tournament? You know, like there's been, there's been you know, historical examples of that. Yeah. that off off pitch stuff that's had an, had an impact. And, and in this case, it doesn't, doesn't really appear to be one. Well, most famously was the situation in 2010 when the uh, Raymond Dominic uh, squad kind of collapsed in South Africa yeah. and um, threatened to strike at one point and got eliminated in the group stage. Mm -hmm. uh, they're eliminated in the group back in 2002. 
Um, I wouldn't call it typically French. It's just one of those things that happens. It's happened to the Dutch several times. It's happened. No, I, to I Germany. don't mean that it is stereotypically I, I know French. That you don't. I just mean that it's happened to the French team a couple of times over the last. I, last I few think years. it has done. I think it also happens when you have high-profile teams full of very, very good players, and in a lot of cases, a lot of players who are used to being not just starters for their clubs, but very important, not undroppable players for their clubs, yeah. and players bicker over their role. Um, and there's. Uh, I know we're going to talk later about how this French team matches up against England, but um, I think one of the things that scares me most is the fact that there isn't any of that stuff. At least it's not mm. showing above the surface. Yes. And um, yeah, Griezmann's been great. Rabiot, Rabiot um, is a bit of a curiosity to me because like I, you see him and, and you, you, you hear the kind of the, um, I suppose the, the conjecture about his personality and he's difficult and he has bad games and he's had a little bit of a, a strange career in the sense of going from PSG to Juventus now and don't know whether he's really wanted at Juventus. That's, you know, I'm mm. not, not sure about that. He seems, he has seemed at times over the last 18 months to be available. He has, he has. And we've certainly seen him as a, in, in gossip columns often enough, but I think he's been great in all of the games he's played. I remember the, you know, what may prove to be one of the most important moments of, the French campaign, his header against against Australia in the first game, when France was struggling a little bit, like they'd gone a goal down, it wasn't working as it should. There were sort of signs of frustration throughout the side, and it was Rabiot who may just go to the board, the run beyond the defenders, and a brilliantly planted header um, past Matt Ryan, Yossi goal. Um, couldn't be more impressed with him and 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 Griezmann and Chouameni. Chouameni's development this season has been really interesting because the knock on him when he moved to Real Madrid was doesn't quite have the positioning sense of someone like N'Golo Kante or more relevant to Madrid, Casemiro, when he left for Man United. And Young Germany's, player isn't experienced. <laughs> exactly, but it's like terrible criticism. At the same time, when you spend 100 million euros on a player, that's kind of what, what happens. Mm. I think that midfield has been great. Um, I prefer it to Kante-Pogba, yeah. um, as in when that combination, that combination most likely would have been used. Um, but the kind of the functionality in that area has been fantastic. And... Um, I think I, I looked at the kind of the passing networks, which are the kind of like the spidery diagrams you see on Twitter sometimes. And um, on the board, you can see sort of this cluster of French players all on the left-hand side. Um, and like Usman Dembele all the way over here. And it's kind of an odd thing to see. It's not actually dissimilar to the way England played today against Senegal, but the kind of the relationship between Mbappe, Rabiot, Griezmann and Hernandez is absolutely fantastic. It's yeah. pretty lethal and it's, Scares me to death as an England fan. It's well, cool. I wanted to talk about, I wanted to ask you about this, if that's okay, John Usman Dembele, because I had a moment when we were watching the game, I think it was fairly early on, and I was uh, grumpy, and he made three mistakes in a row in the space of about five minutes, and I said, oh, haven't they got a better player? And uh, you jumped to his defence, um, and I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear mm. that defence. Usman Dembele I'm talking about. Yeah, well, just to start off with, this, this tactical approach is called overload to isolate, so you get everyone overloaded on one side and then you have a player isolated on the other side and the mm. idea is obviously that you pull the opposition defense across and and then get this this player usually a, a really good 1v1 um dribbler uh in, into a situation against a fullback which is going to favor them and is that Dembele yeah I think so I, I can't think of anyone who the French would be able to play who would be better than him in, in that in that sort of position I think he's been playing pretty well for for Barcelona this season yeah. and I think he's you know in terms of the the players that we're going to see at this tournament, we, we started a debate about, well, who are the better wide players in this tournament? There's not a huge amount of teams no. who who have those. I mean, we've talked a lot about Argentina not really having wide players at all. Vinicius, um, maybe. Like, haven't yeah. England got them all? 
Yeah, England have got I've got a few of them. Vinicius and, and Rafinha, I think, yeah. are, are in that conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Dembele is right up where up there with those with those um, with those other. Names. Do, you, do you think people are still judging him on what where his career was a year ago? It feels like it takes a while for these things to catch up. And That's like what I'm doing. I, I, so, no, maybe. no, no. So un unconsciously uh, being unaware of his positions. The last time I remember hearing about him significantly was Barcelona seemingly wanting to get rid of him yeah. to, to, in order to, I don't know, release another lever. Well, no, and, and that's definitely what happened. But at the same time, um, Xavi and um, Usman Dembele seemingly have a really good relationship. And it's as dramatic a turnaround as I can remember at like that level of European football. Um, he had a few off games this season, but generally speaking, Dembele has been terrific for, for quite a most of the year for Barcelona. Mm. He's been absolutely excellent. Okay. Um, and he's kind of, I think he's, I, I really like Kingsley Komen, but I think Dembele is a kind of a level above him as a, as a player, just in terms of kind of what he can bring you and, and um, the, the amount of different things he can do. Like Dembele is, um, I think, um, a better one-on-one -on -one dribbler. I think he's a better finisher. Um, I think he combines with players around him to a high standard. Um, this is my opinion. But um, yeah, I, I just, it's a, a wonderful luxury to have. Yeah, Mbappe he can go both on ways. Side, Dembele on the he other. He can go that's, both ways as well, which is yeah, always really important. Sure. So if you can if you can get him hitting the byline, that's great. But then at the same time, he he can come inside and finish. But what we've seen him do a lot at Barcelona this season actually is come in yeah. for the cutback as well. And I think that makes you really hard to mark as a as a fullback because you don't know which way the the players are going to go. He's really two footed, John. Like I mm -hmm. I think there are times when you forget he's left footed, right? How many times have you seen him go to the byline, get past the defender on the outside? And I'm thinking of that cross he put in for Aubameyang. In the, the Classico last season, like that kind of moment. It's like, it's almost old fashioned wing play yeah. from the 1990s. Yeah. And yet this player is also someone, as John has just said, who can knife in from the right into the penalty box and damage you with his left foot too. It's mm. it's a it's a very difficult place to be if you're a fullback. Mm. And he's also healthy yes. for the first yes. time in forever. Um, he's if you look at injury charts of his body, it's just a big red blob. blob. Yeah. Um, whereas we've had a, a consistently long injury-free Dembele and it's mm. starting to show, I think. Great. Okay. Well, listen, let's have another break. And when we come back, we will skate through the, the last few talking points before we play. Points are bad. Mm. Okie dokie. England v France. A couple of questions here. Let's do this fairly quickly. Uh, the first one, uh, John, how can France be contained with particular emphasis on Mbappe, of course? Uh, with with difficulty, and and that's going to be the gamble that that England are facing. I think this France is as good. If this is probably the best France team I think I've seen in my lifetime, and oh. because I feel as though in every position they've got players that you want. It doesn't feel we talked about it before. It doesn't feel like they're squeezing players in. We talked about injuries. We didn't even mention the fact that Giroud is only playing because. Benzema got injured yeah. before the tournament as well. And, and again, here he is like smashing the it, goal. It seems record. nuts to me to say that they, they've not missed Benzema because Benzema is incredible. But in terms of what they need in this tournament, you, Giroud, I think, offers more than, than Benzema insofar as like he, fit, he, fills, he fulfills the role that, that I don't think Benzema would have done. Like Benzema is an incredible moments player, whereas I think Giroud is a, is a really good system player and, and, and that benefits them. So I just think in every position they've got, they, they, have, they have a system. We've talked about Mbappe's upside, but we've also talked about his like downside as well and we've talked about how France can overcome that so this is a really tough tough game but you know 
the best team doesn't always win in in a in a game as well. So the big question yeah. is going to be England for, might not win. That's right. England England might not win. You're right. But the, the big question is going to be how do you keep Mbappe quiet, and then how do you really exploit the the downside yeah. of, of Mbappe? In that, do you do it way? with Kyle Walker? Uh, yeah, and that will be why he's played. And we've talked already about how England are playing that that sort of three one structure in their build up, so that they'll be pushing Luke Shaw on one side probably. Um, and then leaving Kyle Walker in a slightly deeper position as a fullback. Mm. Um, although the the big question there is going to be, and I actually thought this was really interesting from Poland today, in that Matty Cash, who was the right back, was was actually quite aggressive in his positioning um, against against Mbappe. And it wasn't the case that Mbappe actually caused them problems by beating them at pace in those wide areas and, and, and cutting inside. Actually, they they got caught on the break, and then Mbappe was in a it was in a wide area. Or yeah. for his second goal was actually um, was was. Um, that had the ball passed to him in the box from from a from a sort of settled position. Yeah. So I I don't think you have to just sit deep and, and sit on Mbappe. Um but Mbappe is dangerous in lots of different situations. And if you give him that space to to run into he can can cause problems. But yeah. Walker is I th- I'm convinced included in the squad because he is probably one of the best players in the world at backwards defending yeah. in, in those transitional moments. So yeah you, you go with that. John Stone's on that side as well. Um, has experience of playing against Mbappe as well, um, and you, you have to get lucky. Like this, it's tournament football. Like um, I, I feel as though what happened for England tonight was that they got lucky in the moment they needed to, and then it changed the game. And then yeah. they, England were obviously the better team; they, they have the better players. But Senegal had a good match plan. They came out, and you know, if one of those chances goes in, it's a different game. England probably still win, but it's a, a very different game. And it will be that it will be that way in this game. Whoever scores the first goal. I think we'll we'll um, probably go on to to win the game. Okay. Um, so yeah, England have to hope for the best when it comes to Mbappe. And well, do they, Seb Stafford? I'd like to ask you, um, what will wor- excuse me, <laughs> what will worry France about England? Because of course, and, yeah. and listen, I put this to the to the chat uh, earlier on. We have nearly three thousand votes. Who will win the quarterfinal? Fifty nine percent predict France. 41% predict England, England, although it's it's possible that we have a bit of an England bias in our live chat, so let's all bear that in mind and adjust the uh, you know few percent points there. Um, but it, it is worth remembering that uh, England are a team that most teams would not want to face. They do have uh, good players, they've got star players, they've got a good system, they're hard to score goals against. France certainly won't be taking the game lightly. What is it about England's team that would worry them, even if they are the favourite? I would say those wide forwards, Joe, I think, because um, clearly France are the favourites, I think. Um, I would It would be a major surprise if England were to beat them. Um, but the problem uh, that France have is that, you know, I, I, Jules Conde played quite well today, but right back is the one area of the pitch where they don't have a world-class player playing in their natural position. And England, as we've discussed, have an abundance of these really skillful, dynamic footballers who, uh, if you play Foden there, if you played Sterling there, if you played... Do you think Saka will play there and start on the uh, right? No, I, I think Saka, I think most people would prefer Saka from the right, um, just because he seems a bit more comfortable. Oh, Jules Koundé is at right back? Yeah, Jules Koundé right, is a, right, right, a centre-back really, as a specialist, but um, has been moved over to, to right back. Um, Benjamin Pavard has played there a little bit for France in the past and um, wasn't particularly convincing. They lack a sort of a natural in that position. So and who I, should start there then? For England. Would it be Rashford? I don't think so. I, I think I would give Foden another go because I think Foden, of all the England players, 
Um, he's not the quickest necessarily, but he's the one that likes to take players on individually. And that's what you probably need there. That's what would probably cause um, France maximum discomfort. Um, the only other thing I say is, is um, no, we haven't got England on board, but we talked about this kind of network of, of French players up here. And I'm going to use the right side of the pen because that's right. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. So I'm just going back to the kind of the little network of four French defenders, French players on the left-hand side of the um, of the pitch. I think England are quite well suited to, to hopefully interfere with that because I, I imagine Trippi will play outside a back three with Carl Walker as the outside centre half, and then of course I'm Henderson going, as well. Yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to um, use Zielinski as Henderson and say <laughs> that like you could use someone like Henderson who um, I think one of his strengths is that kind of role, yeah. taking up space. Uh, tonight we saw what, what he's. Um, his strengths with the ball and his yeah. ability to kind of operate as an eight. I like to call him a no player where he uh, stops a play and then he goes, no, you know, you know what I'm saying? Catchy. Yeah. yeah a nice. no player. England lead a no. no la, la, la. Yeah. Ah, I'm England need again. a lot of no players. England, that is a good tongue twister. Mm. England need a lot of no players against Mbappe. Just very, very quickly. Mbappe's um, second, yeah, Mbappe's first goal is ludicrous. So, um, these aren't the right players, but if you look at it on the um, on the television, you'll see that um, when the ball gets to him for this first goal, you'll see the. Um, if you look at it on the television, on the television, <laughs> you listen to the wireless. You, you will see there that um, in anticipation of of him bending a shot to the far corner, then I'm, I'm showing him kind of um, on the left of the penalty box at the point just before he he, he hits his um, before he, he takes the shot. Um, you'll see the Polish defenders try and cut off the angle. Um, here is the football. Um, to the far post yeah, and for good reason because that's what he's trying to tr trying to do that's the way he's that's shaping he his shape like in the next in the very next exactly goal, right? that was, right was that? so Mbappe mm. receives the ball and I said at the time on Twitter what what do you expect of a goalkeeper when Mbappe has almost no backlift um, is able to generate immense power and also has as much disguise on his shots as he does it's a brilliant finish he is um, I'm convinced that you can't um, so Jim with just one player. Mm. It's just like, no, he, he's enough, too superior. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, he's among the most dominant um, players I've ever seen yeah. um, at a World Cup and he is absolutely terrifying. So I think you need to have a Henderson with a fullback and a centre-back yeah. at all times just because otherwise he's one of the players that just takes over the game. He's sure, sure, um, sure. unmanageable. Let me tell you a little live critiquing for you, Seb Seffield. Delicate touch with the board. Very nice. I like the way that you mm. smoothly and gently handle it. Yeah, mm. But you almost never use it for anything you need to use it for. Would you agree, John? As a member of the union of board users, <laughs> I would like to say that using the board, yeah. thinking, talking to you, mm. and being aware that you're going to jump in on me if I say anything wrong, yes. all at the same time is very difficult. John, I think Seb's doing a very good job. Well, you may well say that, John, but I think I can uh, speak for myself and only myself when I say <laughs> I'm the only person here who's a member of the union of board. Okay. Now, <laughs> listen, let's move on and talk about uh, Chogu Sung. Ah yes. Now tell me about tell me the story of this of this player Seb. It's very interesting. Yes, this is a very strange story that we covered on the Athletic about uh, Cho Gusang, who is who's the South Korean player who scored the two goals um, uh, uh, against Ghana. The nine. The nine. He's, He's the guy who did the leap. Yeah, he scored. The, his second was brilliant. The, yeah. the big back post header, which thumped the big in back off post the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, before that had happened, and after that had happened. Um, uh, Cho saw a big old uplift in his Instagram followers. Yeah. Um, I think he came into the tournament with um, maybe... Less uh, than you. Yes. Well, no, more no, than But me. on Twitter, you know, he had... No, he, no, he had, he had about 20,000. Um, no, no, I'm talking about on Twitter. Oh, yeah, but I'm on Instagram. Oh, no. my God. Yes. Okay. Anyway, 
What had, the point I was trying to make was that a South Korean footballer has less social followers than uh, you do. I see. You, I see. a very unimportant person. Well, interestingly enough, Cho also described himself as a very unimportant person oh. prior to this tournament. Oh. And yet, um, not because of his goals, or because of his play, but um, because he is a very handsome man. Yes. Um, his exposure during this World Cup and shots of him on the bench, brushing his hair back yes. and stuff like that has proved extremely popular. Very popular. Um, and so much so that he has gained a million Instagram followers sure. in 10 days. Now, what do you think, John McKenzie? I think he's very attractive too. Well, you can speak as someone who's gained lots of social followers as a result mm. of something someone else did as to you. As a result you, of you? being gorgeous yeah. also, yes. <laughs> That's I've, got, I've got your favourite thing, John. I've got some context. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So uh, a couple of other footballers who have seen big Instagram um, bounces in the past week Mm. Uh, Jude Bellingham has gained 120,000 new followers. Mm -hmm. That's before tonight. Mm -hmm. Maybe a few more. I reckon I'll have more tonight. Yeah. Kylian Mbappe, 96,000. Isn't he he already at the top? Probably, but Mm. uh, Ronaldo's probably still, you know, like Ronaldo and Messi. Oh, no, no. I just meant pretty popular in that that regard. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is who's following Kylian Mbappe now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, who didn't know of him before. Who who already already is someone who does follow players and or has one of the accounts that allows you to do so, um, but wasn't doing it before. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I'd love to know who that is. I'm somewhat confused about Gusong Cho because I feel as though he was popular in Korea. Before he was a top tournament. scorer in the K League, I th- yeah. think. And I'd, I mean, I'd heard he of him before had, this tournament. He so. only had forty thousand Instagram followers. So you're not a normal. Do they not John. use it in South Korea? Is that is that what? It might be what it is, yeah. yeah. And it might be that we've made a big story out of it for no yeah. reason. Come on, yeah. Well, there's talk of a modelling contract and oh. all kinds of endorsements. Yeah, and but enough about my persona on social media. There are stories from inside the South Korean camp saying that he now has to just turn off his phone at all times because he is so popular and well. he's getting marriage proposals and all sorts of Yeah. Stuff. He wears a vest very well. You know, there's, there's handsome dude, like, man. Do you wear dude. a vest? No. Absolutely do you? No. Does anyone here? Not like a vest vest. I mean like, you know, a cut-off shirt. You know, with the Aussie rules yeah. shirts. Is Henry Cook uh, a vest wearer? Probably. Yeah, thank you. I think I imagine he would like yeah, how, how he would think it would look. <laughs> Yeah, I once I once uh, um, at a talent uh, 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 night, talent evening, talent show, show. at school. Talent I, night. I, I didn't actually do this, but I I, I was prepared to do an an M and M tribute act, and I I wore a um, a, a white vest as M and M did. Did you cut all your hair off? No, I didn't cut my hair off. I, I had short hair back then, um, and it didn't look good, so I didn't do it. It, it requires something <laughs> remarkable to look good in a vest, I think. What's so funny about that? I I just... It's, I once did one of those... This is how unpopular I was I, at school. I is, once did a talent show as one of the cheeky girls. So, pretty cool. I'm going to start with Eminem. Yeah. Um, so, you talked about how, like, you didn't cut all of your hair off. You didn't presumably peroxide it. No, I didn't peroxide so it. what about you, other than the vest, the vest. Eminem? Well, my natural charisma and my... Uh, it's what people say about you. One of he the was the rappers. real Slim Shady, weren't you? In that moment. <laughs> he was. In that very moment. I wasn't. I was the fake Slim oh, Shady. Right. Yeah. So you didn't stand up. I didn't. I think Seb could pull off a pretty good Slim Shady. He probably could. He's got, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a handsome hoodie wearer. Drop, yeah. a, drop a few pounds. You know. yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Did, just did you ever good. do a talent show? I've done talent shows in the past, yeah. What's your talent? I'm really good at using a board. 
apparently. Yeah. yeah. I'm really good Not at sure using the, audio the word listeners would say here. So. Yes, the yeah. word here. Yeah. I'm a yeah. aficionado yeah. of that word. saying here, yeah. I can play no, a few seriously. instruments. What we, I know you play some instruments. I'm, I'm asking, what, what have you done at talent shows? I've played guitars. I've played... Right. Uh... Pianos. I've played brass instruments as well. Wow. You've got, you've got brass instruments in the repertoire there. I do. Although I haven't played one for about 10 years. Oh. I was thinking about buying one. What have I, you got? Tuba? I don't have any. Bassoon? That's the problem. It, bassoon's not brass. No, is, no. is it wood? It was, I played the cornet, which is a small trumpet. But the I've cornet? The Maxwell cornet? That's right, yeah. Nice. Um, but I've, I have thought about buying a trumpet and maybe getting back into it a bit. Yeah. Learning a bit of jazz. I'm sure Henry, flatmate Henry, would love that. Oh, I only play the guitar when he's out because he, mm. he doesn't... He... he Claims to be quite open-minded, but any song I play, he's like, no, you can't play that artist ever. Right. But I was playing... Such as? Megan Trainer's, you know, I'm all about the bass, no treble, that one. All about that bass, yeah. about that bass. No yes. treble. No treble. He wasn't a big fan. He doesn't like I played it in one. a blues swing, though, so right. it was quite fun. I'd just quite like to hear that. Mm. Points are bad. You want to play points about? Well, no, I'm sorry, we can't go on to play points about yet because there's still one more topic of discussion. Go on then. Which is a real, it's a tone turner. Yeah, it's a tone turner. It's Arsene Wenger. Now, I've got the, I've got a quote here in front of me. Not everyone listening will be disappointed by this. It's worth saying. Uh, Personally, I feel a bit sad about it because I like Arsene Wenger, and I and I sort of disagree with my interpretation of what he said. I don't disagree with my own interpretation. I disagree with what I believe he intended to say here. The quote is, uh, you know, when you go to a World Cup, you know you can't lose the first game. The teams who have the experience to perform in tournaments like France and England played well in the first game. The teams who were mentally ready with a mindset to focus on competition and not the political demonstrations, which I just feels a little bit disappointing. And I, I sort of think, uh, I think of Arsene Wenger as a sort of, you know, kind of friendly old granddad. Um, that you find out <laughs> think something you don't like. <laughs> you know, that's no fun, is it? Yeah. What do you think about that, Seb? Yeah, I didn't like it. So Arsene Wenger is um, FIFA's chief of global football development and he was giving a kind of a technical analysis of what we've seen so far at the World Cup and um, what he said about teams dealing with protest or teams being political um, has no place whatsoever in a technical analysis because it's not a technical point. It's just a... Um, subjective opinion, really. Um, you know, for every Germany that went out, you can see in Australia, he performed well above expectation. Um, Australia are probably the most political t- um, team of them all. Um, so really disappointing. Um, yeah. Hopefully Arsene Wenger clarifies that because um, I've always thought of him as a kind of a, a statesman-like figure in football. Always admired him. And um, he's always been a kind of, um, obviously a bit of a fundamentalist in his views with uh, regarding football. But um, yeah, uh, you know, what, what, the way he thinks about style and the way he thinks about attacking football, these are all good things. And yeah, very disappointing to hear him say that because um, it, it didn't need to be said. He can think it, but it didn't really need to be need to be mentioned. Um, didn't see why it was. The, the idea that politics doesn't touch on every area in life is, is nuts to me. And I think usually the people who say keep politics out of sport are the people who are lucky enough to not be, to not have their political rights impinged upon by someone. Um, and I think Arsene Wenger probably fits into that into that category. It, it, it's a real shame. I think politics affects all of us, and uh, often affects most the people who are most 
discriminated against or oppressed. And um, I think it's important to remind people, even in the guise of a football tournament, this is probably the most political World Cup we've ever had. Uh, we've seen the plight of so many different people, migrant workers, Iranian women not even able to watch football yeah. in their own countries. These are people who don't have the 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 political rights to be able to speak up and the idea that we we should just not talk about them because we aren't in, impacted by those plights i think is is wrong and bad charlotte harper wrote an article for the athletic about a week ago in which um she was telling the story of three iranian fans who went to the wales game and um they're each wearing um they're each wearing t-shirts which um had a kind of um phrase of solidarity um for those who are victims of the protest back home and um, they, uh, according to, to sort of their uh, account, they were uh, aware of sort of people watching them um, who kind of reminded them of the morality police from back in Iran. And so when things like that are happening and they actually got denied entry at first because they were wearing these T-shirts um, and they snuck in because I, I think they put on another jumper or something and it was a husband and wife and a friend and they went to another entrance. They managed to get into the game. But like, you can't say that politics... You can't separate a tournament um, from the real world situation that surrounds it, yeah. especially not when you're seeing that real world situation impinge upon the tournament itself. It's just completely unrealistic. Yeah. Um, I'm super disappointed in Wenger. Um, I just, yeah, it's very dispiriting. Here's a, a fun uh, a little addition to this as well, because I, I noticed a little bit of whataboutery in the comments. Um, yeah, those things are bad as well. Yep. What are you going to do? <laughs> Yep. We, do, we do talk about some of them. We can't talk about everything. We're talking about the World Cup at the moment. That other things are bad doesn't mean that the things we're talking about now aren't bad. Um, and it's just a kind of stupid argument to make against it. So yep. don't don't make it, I suppose. Yes. Those, yes. those points are bad that the people in the chat are making. Points are bad um, in many, many ways. Uh, but today, they're quite good for me. And they're good for you as well, John. Yeah? Uh, now, listen... It was only two games today, Sev Safferblor, um, but you uh, really managed to royally mess it up. Not as royally, though. I wasn't trying. As the new king of royally <laughs> messing things up, the guy who's not trying. Definitely not trying. JJ Bull, the bullet. JJ Bull. Oh, JJ Bull came last today, Oof. gaining the most points. Five. Five points from two games. That's quite a hard thing to do. That put, that's, that's, that's a 10-day right there, if there were four games. He has sent me his predictions, though, so... Unfortunately, we won't be able to penalise him even further. Um, Seb Stafford-Ball, you added four points ah. today. Uh, you added points uh, by suggesting that France would be 2-0. You added two there. And that England would be 1-0. You added two there. Whereas, John, you and I are champions of both the people and the goblins with two points apiece. That's well, right. Well, I won't forgive you for the fact that that penalty at the end of the Poland-France game existed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that enabled you to pick up the one point there and for me to have a zero. I got a perfect score today on uh, France-Poland 3-1 and I picked up two. You picked up one on the England-Senegal mm. game. Good prediction from John with a 2-0 there and a little over the top from me with a 5-0. But before we make our predictions for today, shall we enjoy once again the song, whatever song Don has to play us for Points Are Bad, we can all enjoy that. Uh, thank you, producer Don, whenever you're ready. Points
Is it finished now? Yeah, it's finished now. There we go. Sometimes we can't hear it. Sometimes we can. We don't know why. Producer Don looks very perplexed. But I'm sure we'll work it out one day. Um, anyway, which version was that, Producer Don? Which one? The, the Band Summers one. Yeah, well, lovely job. There we go. Thanks to Band Summers. Uh, okay, cool. Right, now, let us do our predictions for the day. Uh, and it really would have helped if I'd written down what the games were. Ooh. What are the games tomorrow? That would help, wouldn't it? I can probably get them up here. So I've got uh, them, Joe. Have you got them? Yeah, we've got Japan, Croatia at J- three o'clock. Japan. British time, that is. V Croatia. Good to know. Okay. And, and what's really the other one? interesting one? Brazil against South Korea. Oh, Brazil versus South Korea. Oh, Korea Republic, I think I write that down. Okay. That's in keeping with the, uh, the, the style of this. Points a bad Excel sheet. Okay, fine. Now, JJ, as the grand loser of the day, gets to go first. Uh, so we can uh, say here that his first prediction, he's gone for a 1-1 in the Japan-Croatia game. Very, very interesting. Seb Steffer-Blor, what about you next? I will take 2-1 Japan. You think 2-1 Japan. Very interesting. Now, John, this is kind of spoiling things, although you probably should have been able to work this out already, that you are still worst last place overall. So you get sure to go you don't third. Want to go- no, third. no, I think you can go third. I will go 3-1 Croatia. 3-1 no, Croatia. No, 2-1 Croatia. 2-1 Croatia. Let's not go crazy. Let's not go crazy, indeed. Fine. I, hmm, this is quite a hard one, isn't it? 7-3. <laughs> I think Croatia are going to control the game in a way that will not allow Japan necessarily to do what they did against uh, previous teams. So I'm going to go... Four. You just said four. two one. You just four said nil. two one Croatia, didn't you? No. Yeah. I'm going to go four, for a, four. a nil two to Croatia. It doesn't feel right, but it's never easy to go last. Okay. Okay. I would have gone. I would have gone two one. It's definitely the hardest spot. I would have gone two one, but you've taken that. Fine. I think people are overrated in Japan. Brazil versus Korea Republic. JJ's first pick is three nil to Oof. Brazil. Now, He's Seb Stafford, you it. go next. I am going to take two one to Brazil. Two one. To Brazil. Okay, John McKenzie. That's a tricky one, isn't it? I'm going to go 2-0. 2-0 to Brazil. And I think... There's an upset on the cards. (laughs) Is there an upset on the cards? There have been a number of upsets this this World Cup so far, haven't there? And sometimes I can feel them in my bones. There haven't been any upsets in the rounds of 16 yet, though. No, there haven't, have there? They've just been group stage upsets. Make of that what you will. Hmm. It's really Does good. that make it more likely or less likely for it to happen? I don't know. So two one is taken, two nil is taken, three nil is taken. I mean, what is there to choose really? Uh, Eight one. I'll go for one nil Brazil. Yeah. Fine. I won't have an upset. I'll pick an upset a different day. There we go. There we go. There we go. Fine. So uh, that is all from us uh, today. I think we've covered everything we wanted to. Have we said? We sure have. Lovely job. Fine. We, well, we'll say goodbye to you. We, we'll, we'll, we won't see you again until Friday. I am coming back for quarterfinals, but I'm going to go home and see my wife and our cats. Yeah. yeah. And bring me back some German chocolate, won't you? Yeah. My wife asked whether you and your wife would like chocolate from Germany, mm. and you were very enthusiastic about that. Well, I shouldn't so even need so to be asked. that I might have to take a What about case. me and my wife? Well, you and Henry, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will also bring you back something. Don't know what you have. There's something. Yeah. I've already got a butthole Burgermeister, I'm afraid. Well, I don't even know what that is. What's that? It's an incense burner uh, that I got from 
uh, East Germany. Okay. My friend sent me. Okay. Tom, Tom Weber sent me. I need to get something it, that will suit you. You put and, incense in it yeah. and it comes out of his mouth and out of his bum. Right. Our house smells amazing now, right. by the way. <laughs> the good stuff, man. Okay, well, there we go. Uh, that's everything for today. Thank you to um, uh, the, the John McKenzie. John McKenzie. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. And thank you to uh, the. the, 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 the Seb Stafford Bloor. Thank you to Seb Stafford Bloor. Thanks as usual to John, John and Damie. No, <laughs> Don and Jamie in the producers box in the suite over there. And thanks to editor Nathan for always editing. Now uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more. Until then, take care. Uh, Tara, bye bye. Cheers. Au revoir. Cheers. Auf Wiedersehen. And good night, friends. Mm-hmm.